0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and juvenile delinquent lost to lust, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm
1: story expert and mistress of the learning plateau, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about
0: Where the Wild Things Are, the 18th episode of season four. Where the Wild Things Are aired on April 25th, 2000 and was written by Tracy Forbes and directed by David Solomon. As you all know, we are a fully Spoiled Buffy podcast, that means that at any time We will
1: pull in things from later seasons We will pull in things from Angel the series We may even reference some things In the comic books, because I've read a little bit of that Uh, So what I'm saying is, if you have not Fully engaged uh, with Buffy And are spoiler sensitive Then you may want to go ahead, get all that done And then come back, because trust me It'll be worth it All right, you get fang, I'll get horny I mean, you know what I mean Let's go on patrol the wild things are Buffy and Riley take out a vamp and a demon in the graveyard and since vamps and demons teaming up it's kind of weird they feel they need to tell Giles right away except Buffy's craving a non-fat yogurt so they go back to his room and get busy in the middle of the night Riley leaves Buffy in bed and wanders through the house and something is weird then he goes into the bathroom and it's just a dripping tub faucet so NBD While doing his rounds in the ice cream truck, Xander and Anya fight over not having enough sex. At the school, Buffy and Riley tell Giles about the vamp and demon working together, and he's stumped. But Riley has an idea.
0: So what brought these two together? Not what? Who? Adam. Think about it. Who better to bring together a bunch of demon types than someone who's made out of a bunch of demon types during the scooby meeting buffy and riley can't stop touching each other and after they invite everyone to the party at riley's house the next night they rush back to his place to wolf down a non-fat yogurt between classes that night they're still eating yogurt and making enough noise (laughs) that Graham and Forrest can hear them the house is cold and no one knows why weird Anyway, there's a Rando making a fire to battle the cold. Cut to Riley's room where Buffy and Riley are so close to finishing that yogurt and suddenly flames <laughs> shoot out from the fireplace and catch Rando on fire. Get help.
1: The next night, everyone's at the party and Buffy and Riley can't stop staring at each other. At the bronze, Anya and Spike reminisce over the evil old times. Back at the party, a frat boy tries to use intellectual posturing as a seduction method and it's not going well, but then he puts his hand on the wall to look even less cool and he ends up having a non-fat yogurt in his pants, so I guess it worked out for him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Xander flirts with a girl named Julie while pseudo-intellectual frat boy pulls everyone over to the non-fat yogurt wall. It's highly uncomfortable. Later, Willow and Tara are sitting on the stairs talking and when Willow touches Tara's knee, don't touch me. That's.
0: Disgusting. Shit's getting weird, y'all. Tara runs upstairs to the bathroom, and then Anya and Spike show up. Spike recognizes some of the guys, and Anya tells him, It's an initiative party. Have fun! Xander (laughs) comes up, sees Anya with Spike, and he and Anya have a fight. Then he leaves to find the girl he was flirting with, playing a game of spin the bottle because they're in college, and also seventh grade, and he joins in. The bottle lands on Julie and Xander tries to get away with a kiss on the cheek, but Julie jumps on him like a starving woman suddenly in desperate need of yogurt. <laughs> then realizes what she's done and runs away. Xander goes after her and hears her in the closet crying as she cuts off her hair in chunks with a knife. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm
1: bad. I'm bad. Willow goes into the bathroom to find Tara, but it's empty. She hears a noise and goes to the tub, where she sees a boy drowning. She reaches for him, and the boy disappears, but when she turns around, he's there, all blue-faced and ghosty. Buffy and Riley are in the middle of yet another non-fat yogurt, and they hear Willow scream, but figure everything's fine. Downstairs, Willow finds Xander and Tara, and they all decide they need to get Buffy, but when they go up to Riley's room to get her, vines grow out of the walls and cover the door. There's an earthquake, or maybe just a housequake, and Xander, Tara, Anya, and Willow rush out. When they can't get back in to get Buffy, they go find Giles at the espresso pump, where they discover this. No
0: one knows what it's like to Uh. be hated um could we go back to the haunted house because this is creeping me out at the library giles goes through the possible demons that could be causing weird sexual behavior but when willow discovers that the frat house used to be a children's home they figure it might be a haunting they visit genevieve holt the woman who ran the place and discover that she abused the kids whenever they were quote-unquote dirty and now the kid's sexual trauma is feeding off the energy of Buffy and Riley eating all that non-fat yogurt and making ghost images and trying to take down the house. Giles confronts her about the abuse, but Genevieve doesn't back down. I refuse to listen to this when I can smell the sin on each and every one of you. Yeah, you smell sin. Well, let me tell you something, lady. She who smelt it dealt it.
1: As they leave, Giles figures out that Genevieve's abuse of the children manifested a poltergeist-type energy that is now feeding off of Buffy and Riley's non-fat yogurt binge. Yes, I'm going to keep going with the metaphor. It's almost funny, goddammit. And Giles comes up with a theory.
0: And now the poltergeists are drawing more and more energy out of them. Feeding on them, in fact. Buffy and Riley are are powering this whole thing. Okay, they're the battery in the boot factory. So what happens when the battery's drained? They die. That's a hell of a leap, Giles, but you're on a Hellmouth and the episode only has five minutes left, so... Okay, they go back to Willow's and get the ingredients for a binding spell. Tara, Willow, and Giles perform the spell while Anya and Xander go back to the house to free Riley and Buffy, who had no idea what was going on. They were like zombies. I had no control over myself at all. Must have been horrible. Yeah, horrible. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: It's bad. All right, so Noel, here we are, where the wild things are. Yes.
0: And um, I'm just curious how'd you how'd you like it? What uh, do you think of it? Okay, I always think this episode has something to do with werewolves because of the title. Okay,
1: right, right, right. Like mm-hmm. I
0: always do. I always I remember that this episode exists, but I forget yes. that it's called this. Um yes. because there's no journey to a land of monsters. There's no like mm-hmm. I. Mm, it's, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Um, instead, I feel like we get this episode that is doing a thing. God, everything is gonna sound like a double entendre in this episode, and that's fine. We'll just go. Everything's a euphemism now. You know, we pulled out the nonfat yogurt, it's
1: just gonna be all the way through.
0: (laughs) It's just non fat. It's non fat yogurt all the way down, folks. Um, I know. I
1: was worried. Okay, let me just very quickly. I I was worried. I asked Noel before I'm like, are people gonna get the nonfat yogurt thing? Are they gonna know what I'm talking about? I mean, clearly it's a euphemism for sex, but it's because when Faith said, Don't you always get hungry and horny after a slaying, Buffy says, Sometimes I crave a nonfat yogurt. So I was going with that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue oh, as you fun. are. I had to explain it. You had to see, it, if you have to explain a joke, it doesn't it's no longer funny.
0: But if you have to explain a joke, then it's extra funny, right? <laughs> That's how it works. Then it becomes meta funny. Then it's meta funny. Then yes. but okay, but I mean, like speaking of meta though, I feel like this mm-hmm. episode, um, which was written by Tracy Forbes, who also did Beer Bad, which is clearly yes. an episode that is kinda sorta trying to do a, do a thing with a message. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I feel like where the wild things are is trying to do a message, but I'm not yes. 100% sure what that message is. And I think Is it that shaming people for sex is wrong? Well, okay. I mean, Giles comes the closest to telling yeah. us what it's all about when he confronts Ms. Holt about yes. creating mm-hmm. traumatized adults with right. her attempts mm-hmm. to cleanse children of their natural sexuality. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, I might read this episode as a critique of censorship, especially mm-hmm. of sexual content in programming for preteens and teenagers, Mm-hmm. Because Giles is the closest we have to an on screen age peer for the show's production staff, most of whom yes. were in their mid 30s to early 40s at the mm-hmm. time that the show was being produced. And he's essentially saying that if you attempt to squash sexuality in kids when they're younger, you end up with sexual energy as a destructive force. But if this is a response to potential censorship of the show's more quote-unquote mature themes, mm-hmm. it doesn't really land that way. Like, it's this right. little... I love that scene of confrontation with Miss Holt, but yeah. it kind of feels, like, wedged in because we wanted to do this thing with all the visuals and, like, the, the sex wall and whatever. Right. Um, so... I don't know. So it doesn't it doesn't really land as a critique of censorship in visual media. Not quite. Uh And it doesn't seem to be saying sex is bad. But it's also not not saying sex is bad because this is all Buffy and Riley's fault for getting wrapped up in each other. Apparently. Right. I mean, I, I at least they wrap it up. Shout out to the condom drawer. Speaking of wrapping exactly. things up. That was nice. But, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. What? Lonnie, what's what? Yeah. <laughs> well we have okay, we have this sex house, right?
1: Okay. So we have this house where there's all this sexual energy. That I'm is sorry, being
0: sparked. I just flash to um Spinal tap and working on a (laughs) sex farm. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I'm so sorry.
1: Yes, that's another thing that's different. Um, But, you know, so we have the sex house. We have Buffy and Riley having all the sex in the sex house, which like kind of insinuates that they are the first people to have sex in the sex house. Or they're the first people to have sex that good in the sex house. Or they're the first supernatural people. <laughs> well, at least she's supernatural to have sex in the sex. House. Because there's, there's tons of men in this tons of college men. I there has been there. fucking in this house. Oh, there I has been theory <laughs> <laughs> that it's a demon, a, <laughs> a fucking demon. A fucking no, demon. No, something isn't right there. A sex um, demon. sexy beast (laughs) a sex demon i would have but anyway so we've got all of this yeah but we also have this dual standard again right what a surprise right (laughs) because graham loves that riley is getting laid whenever anybody says anything graham's like (laughs) you know it's very cute i love Um, graham Uh, Graham is so adorable. Um, Then you have Forrest, of course, who is unhappy about it, but only because uh, he's jealous. You know, so I mean, there's there's that like otherwise Riley would be celebrated for all of this. But at the end, when Buffy says if Riley and I hadn't gotten so wrapped up in each other, none of this would have happened. We get from Anya. True. Feel shame. Now, (laughs) it's it's a joke. You know, it's a joke. But at the same time, she does. You know, I mean, like she's embarrassed about it or whatever. So and this is the whole thing. Like, you don't want a message to hijack. We have this discussion a bit in Beer Bad. You don't want a message to hijack your story, right? Your story should be your story. If you have themes in your story, get them across, you know, without having necessarily like a lecture moment, like what we have from Giles. I like what Giles says. I think it's important to be said. I'm glad he says it with anger and fury and that we absolutely take this woman down as being wrong for what she did. So I like that. At the same time, it is it is really, really messagey. And what's worse than having a message hijack your story is when you have a message hijack your story and it is unclear what the message is. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> then you failed on all the levels. I'm just totally not sure what we're supposed to get from. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know. Other than mm-hmm. other than we wanted to do this. Sex house, yes. which we wanted to do a sex house story, which is kind of. I mean, I actually like it as a mm-hmm. as a premise. Like, I like the yeah. concept mm-hmm. oh, sure. of it. Sure, but uh, a fucking demon,
1: absolutely. I'd be into it. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. Also, I want to know what everyone touching the orgasm wall is feeling. Like, I'm like, what? How I think does they're this having work? Orgasms?
1: I think they're just having. Non fat yogurt in their pants. I think that's just what's happening. <laughs> but like, it's gross, you know, because the thing is that like people having sex, when you're having sex, you know, it feels like what Buffy and Riley look like. But if you're watching somebody
0: else, mm, oh, I know, don't know. Reality, I, think that I, yeah. I think maybe, maybe you and I have different kinks. <laughs> 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 See, I would enjoy that whole scenario. Like, I would right. enjoy being a participant in the orgasm wall. I would. Enjoy watching others experience the orgasm. Well, it's actually one of my favorite moments in the episode when the two kids who have been chatting or been the the one who has been being chatted up by the other, whatever, like Mm -hmm. rope the third guy and they're like, "Come on, come on, you have to like, come on." (laughs) No, seriously. (laughs) The look on their face. He's so funny. First of all, he's hilarious. He's like, "It's a trick, whatever." (laughs) Yeah, but. Then we cut to the two of them and they are just giddy. They're like, oh my God, yes. we found the best toy. Like <laughs> I do like that. I do like that. I think cute. that's really fun. It's very cute, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. But again, like there's this there's this great, like there's this great story about the energy of a space and like mm-hmm. how the experiences of the people who were there before might affect The people who are there now in this like, like really powerful, supernatural way, but also like, what? (laughs) But only, but only the women.
1: I mean, did you notice, though? Only the women have shame. Right. The boys and the girl that was being chatted up, she's having a great time and that's awesome. Right. But Julie, the one that Xander was talking to, mm-hmm. right, um, jumps on him. They have that whole thing after spin the bottle. And then she goes in the closet and cuts off all her hair. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Willow touches Tara's knee. Tara says that's disgusting and runs away. Right. So again, like, I, I, are, is there any point during all any of this where men are shamed well, I mean, that, we see the boy drowning in the tub, right? So there is that, but well, like it, it feels
0: like we're really drawing a line between male sexuality and female sexuality. Well, there's a—it's interesting because one of the bits of foreshadowing that we get for the whole vanity piece of this, because that's something right. that, that Ms. Holt brings up, is mm-hmm. Dean, the Rando Initiative guy who is set on yeah. fire, asks to go on patrol. Because he gets his eyebrows burnt off, and I think it's Forrest says he doesn't he didn't want the girls to see him with no oh, eyebrows. I missed that. So I missed that. I mean, that, and that's just like a bit of foreshadowing mm-hmm. of the whole right. like the vanity angle. But again, the vanity piece isn't really explored, and we just like pile all of this weird yeah. moralizing on Genevieve in that tiny little scene yeah. towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um the only I mean, there are a couple other moments. With the with the Male type folks. Graham gets like swept up in the the catechism of the house and is like I guess Yeah, but and he's sort of like zombified, and and Forest has to drag him into the elevator because Forest apparently learned nothing from Hush about not using the elevators <laughs> in an emergency, <laughs> in, a, in a supernatural emergency. Yeah, exactly. supernatural mm-hmm. emergency. Like, don't use the elevators. It's also, this... when
1: there's just been like the house is shaking, they're in the middle yeah. of it. I mean, you don't use an elevator during an earthquake, right? No! Generally no generally bad idea no there are
0: stairs in the house right yes it's also one of the worst places to be in an earthquake i'm given to understand in an elevator you don't want to be anyway whatever yeah um Mm -hmm. but that's not i mean that's not the the shame piece but it is like the indoctrination piece right Mm -hmm. we don't see what we don't see from from the boy type folks is the like self punishment right mm-hmm. i mean we see the boy we do see the boy in the bathtub who presumably right. was caught i mean it's it's so subtle but mm-hmm. the idea that the idea that mrs holt was like watching the kids in the bathroom while they were doing their private bathroom things mm-hmm. and that yeah Anyway, yeah, that's mm-hmm. disturbing. But it's not as it's. You're right. It's not as overt as the girls. You know, I'm bad or that's disgusting, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I do. I mean, I feel like it is an equal opportunity shame house. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Maybe then. laughs>
1: equal opportunity shame. Yeah, I felt like it was the women who were feeling shame.
0: You know. Yeah, and I mean, well, and and there's that. It's not. Maybe not the influence of the mm-hmm. house, or maybe it is that moment right. with Xander where he's clearly mm-hmm. really conflicted, right? Because he's yeah, yeah. he wants to engage in this college party mm-hmm. atmosphere. But then when it comes down to like this, it's spin the bottle and it's your turn to kiss someone, right. he's visibly uncomfortable and, you know, like right, does right. the kiss on but the thing. But he sits down he sits down in the middle
1: of this thing because this girl that he was flirting with gave him the eye.
0: Yeah. Right? So, I
1: mean, if you sit down at a game of spin the bottle, but I guess like he was open to the idea of it. And then when the reality happened, he was like, okay, this and isn't right. That feels you know? like a very
0: relatable experience to me. I think so too. Like, oh, yeah. The Z- oh, yeah. We get some great Xander in this episode. Yes, I feel we do. weird saying. <laughs> I know. No, Xander. See,
1: this is the thing with Xander. Xander has some great stuff and then he has some problematic stuff. He's just complicated. He's
0: so complicated. Like all of us. He's so complicated. We're all Xander. Um, We're all Xander. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Where do we want to go from here? Do we want to talk about Xander and Spike and Anya and that whole... We can certainly do that. Yeah. I think that... um, Okay.
1: I, I really hate the crazy girlfriend trope just in general. Um yeah. it, it drives me crazy because men okay. In a heteronormative context, this is the crazy girlfriend trope is part of a sexist, misogynistic hetero patriarchal thing right so this is this (laughs) is something that a straight assholes own right um is this crazy girlfriend trope that you know um when when a girl is upset about something or woman is upset about something we make her the crazy angry girlfriend rather than actually listening to what her complaint is about and so her you know, Anya is having trouble with the fact that they're not having sex. Um, and so there's this whole thing where she's like, you know, yelling at Xander because they're not having sex. And it's, it's portrayed as extremely unreasonable and very, very funny. Um, and so on the one <laughs> hand, I hate the crazy girlfriend trope because it's not listening to her complaint. It's not listening to what it is that she's actually worried about, um, which is not the sex but the relationship. She's concerned about that. Right. Um, and so rather than listening to that, we make it this crazy girlfriend trope at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Caulfield can deliver anything. Oh my God. Um, and the way that she says, I have this one moment from her that I just love. So you don't think I'm desirable enough to be flirted with? Is that it? <laughs> when she says that, I die. Like, it's just so funny. So I, I, while I hate the trope itself and I will stand up intellectually against the trope itself, the scene is funny and it makes me laugh. Emma Caulfield's wonderful. Her delivery is incredible.
0: She's fantastic. She's just I, I mean, her. is she never is she ever not fantastic? Do, is no. this, this is no. now the Emma Caulfield Appreciation Podcast. Where uh, fuck yeah,
1: I mean she's unbelievable, and and like I think underappreciated for what she can do. You look at Anya, and you think you know Anya. Often, especially while she's with Xander, comes down to this, you know, kind of sidecar joke, you know, and she's the comedy mule, and she does all this stuff. And every on occasion, she's the truth teller, which is always fun. Um, but in general, like she is Emma Caulfield. Takes everything that they give Anya to do, a lot of which is not that great, and she makes it fucking amazing. And then it's not even just that she's really good at being funny, because like Xander's really good at being funny, but the higher, like deeper emotional moments sometimes Nicholas Brennan can struggle with that. Emma Caulfield given deep emotional stuff to do will also rip your fucking heart out. So, um, she is, is her talent, her ability to go back and forth between drama and comedy, you know, which we'll see later in the body when she's, Oh my oh God. God. Amazing. And then in oh season God. seven with selfless. Yeah. Mm. And all of season seven, really, she gets, she gets a lot more interesting things to do then. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's unbelievable. She's so, so good. Um, Uh, in the scene with the uh the ice cream truck i xander's my penis works panic is not as funny (laughs) but um yeah i I, I love i love all of it and i especially love anya with spike i love a year and a half ago i would have eviscerated him with my thoughts now i can barely hurt his feelings (laughs)
0: With Spike is the yeah. is the opening to that scene in the oh, in the he alley. Jumps out. You made me yell really high. I,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love their relationship. I love Onion Spike. I love when they're sitting at the bronze and they're having this oh, like God. reminisce over the evil old times, it's you know? So good. Um it's so great and the way that they understand each other. I love that we don't get very much onion spike together, but when we do, it's just Freaking great. But I did notice though, as I'm watching the scene in the bronze, the manspreading. Okay, now he's evil. Right? Spike is an evil vampire. He is evil definitely man supposed to manspread, right? But he is taking up like, and it's he's not a huge guy. Like, he's taking up easily three quarters of that couch. And then Anya's sort of like sliding in in the space that's left.
0: Oh my God. I, I... mean, it's just crazy. But I love. I, I love their different body language on that couch. Yes. I love the way oh. she is like cuddling her drink and I'm- oh my God. So he either. Either he bought yes. her a drink, or Anya finally got her ID. I was and about I that. Her fake ID. <laughs> I'm right. so happy for Anya, and I'm just so happy for happy Anya for that she gets to have a beer. Like that's just... I know. Just give
1: me a freaking beer. Yeah, exactly. Um, beer. I'm very, I'm very glad that she figured that shit out. So I I'm, love I'm them together, yeah. though. I
0: absolutely love oh, them God, together. I so love, great. I love how she goes from being scared by him in the alley to having. Um, like immediately absolutely no patience for his bullshit exactly and I love oh come on you're not even bumpy anymore (laughs) I know and he's like give me some money you know and it's so cute I like my money
1: when it's mine my money how it is
0: (laughs) thank you like she's
1: they're so good together. So great. Oh my god, and the chemistry too when he kind of leans in and he says, "How about we get our vengeance on yeah. and you can, you okay. know, you can do is, something to Droopy boy and I'll stake
0: Drew." It's hot. Is this Spike Anya ship? I mean, there's oh, ev- there is. There's a ship. There has to be.
1: Well, I mean, we have them in everything. entropy in season six where they sleep together and it's really nice, you know. But also, um, but I just yeah. mean like, like just in friends, the fan
0: community, like is there a oh, ship? Sure. I, I mean, there's a ship. I'm sure for, there's, a, there's ship a ship for, for that, everything. right? There's a ship for because I feel like yeah. this is this for me is the spike Anya champagne bottle crashing oh, against yeah. the side of right? the boat. Like this. But is, the thing is, this there's is it. Such. They're really good friends though at the
1: core of it and they understand each other you know cuz they've both been demons yep. right you know so they get it like mm-hmm. um and so i really like the way that they um that they interact with each other the way that they understand each other the way that they don't judge each other you know the way that everybody judges Anya because she used to be a vengeance demon everybody yeah. judges spike but and spike should be judged because he's you know he's evil and he would kill people if he could you know and he's delightful um, it's a, it, and he's delightful he's <laughs> delightful doing it but i mean let's not let's not words. this fucker's evil right you know um but i i love that whole relationship between them i love how how kind he is to her and how much she really seems to respect her. Um, and I, I love that from him with her. And I think that they have, I, I think that there's chemistry there. There's definitely sexual chemistry there. But they as, as people, as friends, I think I just like them as friends, and I wish we'd gotten more of them being close. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but, but just getting a little bit of it in this episode is super, super fun. Um, and then, of course, we have her bring him to the initiative party. <laughs> oh, yeah, these are the guys
0: who held you in the basement. <laughs> She's fun. like, you yes. brought me here. And then, and then we get that delightful Xander popping in. You brought him here, and Spike says, "That's what I said." Only I hit the here part. (laughs) I, I love Spike. He's so great. I love all of them. I love. I. I mean, I said it earlier, but like, I love Xander in this episode. Like, I really kind of like him. Um, Mm -hmm. even the my penis work stuff. Is, like, kind of fine with me. Partly, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe this is the influence of the house on me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I have a lot of sympathy for Xander. Mm-hmm. Because Anya, like, in that ice cream truck, Anya is yeah. unloading a lot of feelings on him based on her expectations of what a human relationship is. Right, um, right. Mm-hmm. And hurt in any kind of relationship so right. often comes from unarticulated expectations. Right. But the people in our lives aren't mind readers and Anya mm-hmm. Anya has this need to feel desired as part of being in a relationship. Um, right. Not that this is like a model for a healthy relationship in any way, but <laughs> uh- anyway, so Anya has this need to feel desired. Xander isn't making her feel desired, but he can't do that unless she tells him like, hey, this is part of what
1: right. I need from you. right? And I mean, she, you know, the way in which she is expressing that definitely like has its issues. But at the same time, like he if he would listen to her, I mean, we can tell what it is that she needs. Yeah. Like Xander, listen <laughs> to her instead of just dismissing her as the crazy girlfriend. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. having, she, Anya's having a crazy moment. Let's not actually dive into what it is that's making her upset. You know yeah, what it is that she's feeling. Yeah,
0: I mean, but the whole like, I feel like that whole scene in the ice cream truck really exists just to a give us that great sound edit from Riley in the bathroom to yes. the creepy ice cream truck music, which oh yeah, gives oh, yeah. me all kinds of life. B, which has a lovely aesthetic feel to it, totally yes. good, mm-hmm. to- so good, so so lovely. Um, mm-hmm. B, it shows Xander, you know. Never not hustling with his stripy always shirt working. and his paper hat. He's the, he's the Kirk from
1: Gilmore Girls in this <laughs> show during this season. He's always got a different job. Got a yeah. different job.
0: I like it though. There's something I like about it that. Too. I really he's a hard like. worker. Yeah. And to see, and I think this is the most important function of this scene, is to kickstart the theme of the combination of childhood and sexuality being quote unquote inappropriate, because of course. Xander right. loses his temper, you know, has his great, and like, says all that. big, yes. hot, sweaty, big sex line. Right. And then we slowly <laughs> look, because no one in Sunnydale right. has any peripheral vision, we no, slowly no. look mm-hmm. out the window to reveal, you know, right. all of these children and some parents. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because because mixing the idea of sexuality with childhood is just something that can always make people uncomfortable. Um, yes, yes, it absolutely can.
1: It absolutely can. <laughs> it absolutely can. Um, and yeah, I, I, I didn't, I did not even make the connection to the theme of children and sex, you know, and the thing is, is that there are, it is, it is a tough Area because it is inappropriate for adults to have anything to do with children and having sex, but um, but the children having sexual feelings and sexual impulses is something that has traditionally been either ignored or shamed, you know, um, and that is definitely something that I think is part of of this story. One of the things I'm interested in though is you know that we've got the title "Where the Wild Things Are," right. right? You know, which of course is a play off of the Maurice Sendak book, and um, and you have some thoughts on that. I'm really interested in hearing because i didn't see i have so many thoughts i have so many thoughts on
0: that um i mean speaking of like speaking of uncomfortable things about childhood i mean we have a really hard time with the idea of children having any sort of strong um emotion or sensation yeah um Mm -hmm. so maurice sendak author of where the wild things are once said i only have one subject The question I am obsessed with is, how do children survive? Mm -hmm. And I find that so poignant, particularly in relation to this episode, um, Mm -hmm. where ultimately, you know, we discover that the victims in the past were children. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also like, there's also this loose tie To the episode, in that much of Sendak's work looks at how children cope with fractured maternal child relationships. So, Mm -hmm. how does a child deal with feeling cannibalistic rage toward mother? How does it wait? Which book? Wait, which book was that? Where the wild things are. (laughs) That's cannibalistic rage. Yes. When he says, so Max the the night max wore his wolf suit he's so he's dressed as a predator he's chasing Uh the dog with a fork his mother calls him (laughs) wild thing and and he says his retort is i'll eat you up oh my goodness (laughs)
1: So he's. I I just read that as role playing a wolf instead of having cannibalistic rage, but I love it.
0: But also, <laughs> obviously, I, mean, I
1: need to go back and do like a whole oh literary read well, of the Sendek.
0: Um, I mean, don't no, like. Yeah. I was gonna say, don't get me started, but you did get me started. So here we go. <laughs> no, no, no. I I so deliberately want to get you started. Like, Talk to me. Yes. Hold on. Hold on to your butts. I mean, like. Okay. It's great. <laughs> like. <laughs> so, I mean, how does it feel like? Sendak's Sendak's books, um, you know, so often look at how it feels for a child whose Mm -hmm. mother is emotionally unavailable or depressed. I mean, how Mm -hmm. do children survive without parental empathy? Like, it's a really huge question. Um, Mm -hmm. And the book, Where the Wild Things Are, is all of 10 sentences long. Yeah. (laughs) And it's amazing in the way that it it looks at this idea so the Sendak book Where the Wild Things Are was published Mm -hmm. in 1963 Xander's Mm -hmm. Sunnydale history lesson has Lowell House established as a fraternity around that same time I think he says 1962 Mm -hmm. Um, according to the writer Francis Spufford Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are is quote one of the one. let me try that again (laughs) (laughs) Let's try that again. Once more without phlegm. (laughs) According to the writer Francis Spofford, Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are is one of the very few picture books to make an entirely deliberate and beautiful use of the psychoanalytic story of anger. Oh, and I think Tracy Forbes is referencing Sendak's picture book in several ways in this episode mm-hmm. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So in Where the Wild Things Are, Max, the child protagonist, enters an alter- altered state in his bedroom. He begins uh-huh. to experience vines everywhere. Right. And the right, walls right. become, quote, the world all around. Mm-hmm. This is in direct response to his mother calling him Wild Thing and sending him to his room when he says he'll eat her up. Mm-hmm. The frat house, the Lowell, the Lowell fraternity house, is devoid of mother's love, both because of the history of child abuse, but also because Maggie, the initiative's mm-hmm. mother, is dead. So, oh my God, this—I mean, this explosive, sexual, explosive, angry sexual energy mm-hmm. didn't take over before maggie's death and i refuse to believe that none of the initiative soldiers like got, never yeah, exactly. got wrapped up in you know passionate nakedness before buffy exactly. came on the scene like mm-hmm. i refuse right. to believe that this has never you know that like around the buffy's clock supernatural
1: nature see i thought it was buffy's supernatural nature that sparked it that's that's that yeah, power I don't, is what they're. I don't like like, like, like that. the battery thing. I, yeah,
0: I, and I mean, and maybe that's what it is. And I really don't yeah. like that because that puts the blame on her, her supernatural special chosen feminine body, which we've already done so much of and is super like, no, I prefer your reading of it. Right.
1: Absolutely. Um, I prefer your reading of it because again, that is something that happens all the time, you know, and of course it is the woman's fault, right? Yeah. The man can fuck all he wants and it's fine, but the woman, yeah, you know, she's the one who causes the problem. It's her wanting to have sex that creates the problem. So I much, I got to tell you, just in this analysis of where the wild things are, you've already made me like this episode more. I've never liked it much. <laughs> you've
0: already made me like it more. This is brilliant.
1: I'm sorry. Continue, continues. No, it's please.
0: fine. It's fine. So I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that that in Sendak, the altered state of consciousness is rage. So specifically, uh-huh. it's Max's anger toward his mother or uh-huh. his his friction with his mother, right? There's a divide right. there. And then, of course, at the end, we we see him receiving mother's love in the form of a hot meal you know brought right. to his room but mother never appears so there's mm-hmm. definitely that absent mother figure that that i don't know is the emotional yeah. catalyst for this journey whereas in buffy the ultra state of consciousness is this passionate se- yeah. this 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 sexy passion that we get the sense especially from giles is like a Mm -hmm. normal part of university i actually really love his line when they (laughs) scamper off and willow's like oh they're probably gonna go (laughs) and giles is like yes i did go to school in the mesozoic era i remember how it was (laughs) right
1: and then later on in the same episode we have another reference where giles doesn't get it
0: When yeah, they're in the it's library, so weird. Right? Like, it, it's, yeah. it, we but we do that, I don't know. We seem to do that with Giles, like father figure Giles a lot. Like yes. he mm-hmm. he either is the wise father who sees and understands all mm-hmm. or he Sees nothing and has to be, right. <laughs> and has to have it explained to him like to a child, ex- like spelled out for him. um <laughs> Yeah. But I think what I think is interesting about this, just to wrap up the Sendak Forbes connection. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The um, so so we have so on the one hand we have we have childhood anger in mm-hmm. the picture book, and we have young adult sexuality. Yes. You know on the show. Mm -hmm. The connection, that connection between violence and passion and between anger and sex is one that we've seen on the show before and really throughout U.S. media. Like, that's a connection that we love. Um, Mm -hmm. But ultimately, what I find so fascinating is it's the repression of the natural childhood sexuality Mm -hmm. of these children of Lowell House that produces this anger. Mm hmm in response to the presence of, and here's where I'm not sure where the show comes down. Like I Mm -hmm. would say healthy young adult sexuality. Like I think that getting wrapped up in your person and, you know, wanting to just like be on sex Island for Mm -hmm. a long weekend. I feel like that's a good thing, Mm -hmm. but the show seems to present it as like, a problematic thing, and I'm not. I, I don't, don't know. I mean, I honestly, know. I think that we
1: we lack a lot of clarity. I think in this episode, um, I, I love all the stuff that you pulled out. If there had been a reference to Maggie. If there had been a connection between Genevieve Holt and Maggie, if there had been something kind of pulling all of that together, you know, and that mother figure, that missing mother figure, like all of that kind of stuff. As creepy as I thought the whole mother thing was with Maggie. Yeah, yeah, like all of that and bringing that back to Adam as well could have really, really tightened this whole thing up. But I'll get to that when I talk about the the story problems mean, the episode because we've got a few.
0: Mm-hmm. The closest thing that we get is, once again, from Xander, when he sits down to play Spin the Bottle, and he says, jokingly, because he's clearly kind of uncomfortable, yeah. he's like, oh, mm-hmm. if Mother was here, we'd all be in trouble, or something like that. Like right. He references this idea of, like, uh-huh. if Mother found out about what we were doing, right, we'd be in trouble. So, I don't know. Like, it's not... It's not fully. It none of it is fully explored. It's really just. It's, it, yeah, it, it feels like a first draft run.
1: But I actually, I always thought that Where the Wild Things Are was just like that. It, I never saw the connection to Sendak aside from taking the line from pop culture, you know, right. and that and that Buffy and Riley are having so much sex. They're and like doing wild the wild
0: things. thing. <laughs> but
1: I think the the alternate universe of the bedroom and the yeah. vines. I think you've really pulled something out there that shows that there's much more of a connection to this than I think was necessarily clear there Um, so I love I love that whole analysis I think that's brilliant
0: yeah and also just the idea of emotions as being a natural emotions and Mm -hmm. passion as being natural as in of nature yeah right so like the way that this the way that this this energy of these abused children manifest in the house is Mm -hmm. as the four classical elements right like revolting against the the partiers essentially
1: Mm -hmm. right Um, right right you know starting with
0: starting with the fire being out of control Uh um which you know okay great like that's a nice little that's that's a nice little visual cue that like oh it is the Buffy Riley sex machine that Mm-hmm. Is fueling this whole thing because, of course, then right. the fire explodes at, you know, just the appropriate moment. And okay, mm-hmm. like we're used to see, like, I feel like this idea of fire and sexuality is really, really easy to, it's easy yes. to make that connection, but then. Mm-hmm. We also get, we also get the three other classical elements, you know, misbehaving in this haunted Mm -hmm. sex house with the water, of course, in the bathtub, which Mm -hmm. shows up and then, you know, is not there and then is there again. Mm -hmm. And of course, the vines growing up and around Buffy and Riley's door. There's the element Mm -hmm. of earth, um, like this sort of evil, twisted Garden of Eden also. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you got serious, um, Disney's Sleeping Beauty vibes from, like, the thorns around the castle and this, like, oh, yeah. protected magical bedroom within. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt I, I got some Sleeping Beauty going on okay. there.
1: And then, like of course, it. also
0: for Earth, we have the sure. earthquake or the housequake, mm-hmm. which Tara, like, all good creatures knows is coming forth there. <laughs> oh, like, Tara. Oh, sweet Tara. Tara. Or sweet Tara, and then Xander, when he tries to go back into the house, is sent flying through the air, yeah, um, as if you know, as if the element of air is pushing him out. And if if the air pushing Xander through the door doesn't count, um, we also get wind whipping through the circle of Giles, Tara, uh, Tara, and Willow. God, you're
1: making me like this episode so much more than I ever have. (laughs)
0: sure it's like as deep and profound as I want it to be but no I mean first of all like you're pulling all this stuff out I
1: now I can clearly see I think that the the episode the the script as written isn't hitting this stuff like well enough and also I don't I, I think that like I don't trust it as a as a deliberate conscious aware piece of storytelling that like when I see a detail I'm like that's just there because it's there but I like the fact that you pulled all that together I think that's really really good and I think it's it's giving me a little bit more respect for this story um
0: but you just talked about Tara can we yes. talk about Tara for a little yes, bit yes we can absolutely oh talk God. about Tara because Tara is oh my God. the literal best
1: like she she's, is the
0: literal, she's best. literally too good for this world, and that's why she ends up having to die, and that makes me very I sad. Know. But it is incredibly
1: ugh. sad. But okay, we have her in the beginning when they're uh, having the Scooby meeting at the uh, at the dining hall or the student the, union or wherever they're the,
0: the, the yeah like the common area. What a weird the place. Anyway, area. whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Um.
1: <laughs> but I love I love the way that she sits there in the Scooby meetings and she is just listening. So intently. I mean, you know, Amber um, Benson's job is to just sit there and listen, right? But she's bringing this, like, rapt attention to Tara, this energy where she's, like, trying to absorb and learn. And she's so open You know, like she's not like everybody is making wise ass remarks or talking or whatever. She's just there like so incredibly open. I absolutely love her. Um, I love how when Giles is singing, right? Uh, Willow and Xander and Anya are all shocked, you know, and Tara's just like, oh, he's good. You know, Um, every time I watch Buffy, I love Tara more when I think that I can't love her anymore. I
0: love her more. <laughs> she's <And> wonderful. <laughs> she pays it's attention, so... too. Like, she's the one, not only yeah. is she listening during the meeting, but she uh-huh. is the one who remembers that Giles is not going to be home. He's going to be He's at, the, at espresso the Espresso Pub. Home. It's right,
1: so... And she's in the house and she says, we need to get out of here. She knows, you know, what's going on. Something's not right here. Like, she really has this incredible sensitivity, which I absolutely
0: love. I have a question about how someone might rewrite a story like this episode that wants to that seems to want to talk about sexual shame and repression and and punishment but doesn't really know what it's getting at like how could we how could we rewrite this because overall i think the idea is cool right the idea is really cool i love everything. Okay, first of all, the
1: first thing you do is go in, listen to everything Noelle said and punch all that shit up because that's great, right? <laughs> the stuff that you pulled out from such a thin... It's wonderful. It's really, really
0: good. This is um, what I do. The, I take the thinnest little thread no, and I weave it into a tapestry of bullshit. This is what no, I do. No, it's not bullshit. No, <laughs>
1: you take that shit back. That is not bullshit. That was amazing analysis and I will not hear another word otherwise. Um, But, but okay, here's the thing. What The essential story problem that we have here, right, is that we have no active antagonist. We have a villain in Genevieve Holt and that she did something bad. Um, but the the ghosts are not even self-aware. The ghosts are just the remnants of the child's sexual trauma. We're not tying this into our current big bad. Adam is not making this happen. Genevieve Holt is not making this happen. We haven't associated it with, um, with mother and with the yeah. creepy ass. And also, by the way, the creepy ass kind of sexual Mommy, Oedipal shit that we had sort of as a subtext underneath the the boys in the initiative. All these young men and this older woman who is mother. It's all weird. It's they all could creepy. Have and this really is really hard.
0: Norman Bates on that, and it would have been amazing. This
1: is this is an opportunity to <laughs> investigate like the mother relationship and the mother-child relationship um, and the damage that that does. Now Genevieve Holt, if she's going to be the, she is the villain in that she's the bad guy. She is not the antagonist and that the antagonist is the person who is creating the problem you know who is blocking the protagonist from whatever it is that they want to do right so we don't have an active antagonist within this story and that's why the story kind of flops around on the floor like a dead fish right it doesn't really know what it's doing it doesn't really get that focus so to go back in and rework it from a narrative theory perspective you're going to want to make an active um, antagonist that they can stop they go in they get the information from Genevieve they yell at her because she is a nasty old bitch, and then they leave. And then they <laughs> basically just kind of take this this non sentient energy because these aren't the ghosts. These children did not die. Yeah. These are not the ghosts of these children. These are not active. This is just a an, a wild energy that has nothing at its core. So. um so if you've got a situation like this where we have Adam, right, as our bad guy, who called Maggie mother, who is angry about the loss of his mother, even though he killed her, right, who is doing something. And we have th- the presence of Adam in that we have these vampires and demons working together. And they're like vampires and demons never work together, but they all drink at <laughs> Willie's bar together all the time. So I don't even know that that's really a premise. It's not that even we can really real, but whatever. On. It's Fine. Feels feels a little thin to me. Right. Um, So here we have Adam, um, you know, and and this is also right above the initiative, which is essentially his birthplace. Right. He is trying to understand himself. So if this was something that Adam initiated, that Adam brought in. You know um, that he released the the sexual trauma of these kids into this place. At this point, Adam is less of a like. He doesn't have a big plan, really. He's just still trying to understand himself. He's like, a he is prop. A, he's not he's even a, a wilder. Really, right.
0: he's
1: a right. prop. So if there's something right, if there's something that he wants, if we have him with an active. Want that there's some reason why he's doing this, you know? And what is the goal of creating a bunch of sexual energy in a house with young people in it, which will have a ton of sexual energy on its own? Because, hey, young
0: people, right? Um, <laughs> young people, am I right? <laughs> no. Am I right? Yeah.
1: Well, actually, for, I'm sorry. Everybody, everybody, old people, too. Everybody. <laughs> no um, expiration
0: date on like, no expiration horniness. date on sexual energy.
1: Absolutely. Um, So, you know, you have like, uh, you'd have to work in if you're looking at uh, first of all, bring in that mother angle, right? Because that really ties into that, where the wild things are. Have the wild thing line, you know? <laughs> um, have Genevieve Holt be more active in this. You know, um, maybe there's something that she is actively doing. At least have her actively doing something. Um, she has this whole perspective of these these people are bad. She sees, you know, that in this place... Connect her with Adam somehow. I don't know somehow like connect her with all of it, right and then bring her in and have her, you know, actively trying to shame these people I mean, I, I think that you you'd have to work with it a lot to make it work just from a what? kind of perspective like here's this old lady (laughs) who thinks that young people having sex is a bad thing and she used to run this house I mean maybe she's a woman who is having some dementia maybe she goes back and she thinks that these are all her kids still that she has to take care of them maybe she's the house mother at Lowell House you know where she's still taking care of them or something like that
0: you know I mean if you have something yeah, she's such a compelling character in that like tiny little snippet that we get and like oh yeah yeah, because Catherine Justin fucking oh rocks it, no matter what you give She's her. She's so you know?
1: great, but I'm just I like, love oh her. sweet, oh honey, like Genevieve, what know. happened to you? Like what if, Genevieve, like what? what happened to you? Indeed, because that shit happened to her when she was young. Yep. I, guess. Like, I mean taught you know, right.
0: this, Someone you taught know, her, right? Someone taught her that this was the way to. So-
1: right anyway and and that kind of internalized shaming so but long story short you've got to have an active antagonist who's actively making this happen and that's what you fight you know something something personal something sentient something that has a goal and is is going after it you know um and then tying that into adam and maggie somehow and that relationship that he has lost that that lowell house is sitting on top of his birthplace um that the place where he killed his mother you know um so there's there's a a lot of stuff that you can do there to bring that into and and really kind of strengthen those themes, you know, um, and make it all kind of work together. I think that you could do that. Uh, it would take a, a little more time, I think, than I have right here off the top of my head to try to fix that whole <laughs> sexual children connection. Yeah, um, because that is a really difficult thing. I mean, children and sexual behavior. There's a normal, natural um thing and then there is this adult perspective that comes in on children and sex um that is that is very very difficult to deal with because is adults have been damaging children sexually for you know millennia um and it's a really you know difficult thing to um to kind of kind of uh, i guess thread that needle you yeah. know in a way that doesn't that doesn't bring this sexuality of children into any place that is kind of uh, an adult know, space. yeah an adult space right because that's a different that is the the proto sexuality the youthful innocent sexuality of children who just realize that there are certain things on their bodies when they touch it feels good you know um I mean that's where they are when they're children you know um and then there's the puberty process where they sort of are coming to an awareness with all of this and trying to figure all of that out is something that is, is very difficult because dealing with children's sexuality in a way that is appropriate and healthy um, is very, very difficult to do in a, in a society where, um, where sex is shamed and children are often viewed by adults as sexual objects. And that is a really, really difficult Thing to do, and you'd have to be extremely careful about that. So I'm not ready to like. I'm not ready to say how co-sign you fix that. that
0: script of Buffy the Vampire I'm not, Slayer. Yeah,
1: no, I'm I'm not sure how you fix that. Your story problem is that you don't have an active antagonist.
0: <laughs> what I hear you saying is that like this this story of the mm-hmm. sex possessed, sex and anger possessed house could have worked w- if they had like gone hard on those psychoanalytic level. Like if it (laughs) I think it's the children the children aspect that
1: we have these uh ghosts of the traumatized children, whereas if you have Genevieve Holt judging the sex with the um of the adults you know, yeah. I know, I don't Sex know. Sex and children is a really difficult subject for me personally, um, and and it is it is something that I am very sensitive about. And for um, a lot of people personally,
0: like that's for a, big, a lot of yeah. people
1: personally, like whether you've had a personal experience or not, it's a very very difficult um, difficult thing to kind of deal with and work with. And I think it takes a lot of thought and consideration if you're going to tell that story. Um, I generally like my stories of sex to be about adults. (laughs) Um, Although dealing with this idea of shaming the children, I think is, you know, is culturally an important thing because there is that sense of shame associated with sex um, when children are, are, are healthily expressing sexual understanding of themselves. You know, um, when adults start mucking around in this sexualized children's space, that's when things get really fucked up. Um, So so all of that to say, I know how to fix the story part (laughs) with the active antagonist all the way through, like involving Adam in it somehow. I like the thematic thing with the mother and with the Maurice Sendak and all of that kind of stuff. Um, How to how to fix a story about children. Having sexual energy is, uh, that's a bigger that's a bigger discussion. <laughs> we need to fix society first. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you know what? Honestly, like, let's, yeah,
0: let's fix society first. Honestly,
1: maybe don't go there until we as a society are not as fucked up as we are. Um, so yeah, I think that that's I. I there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of difficult stuff in this episode. Um, the thing that I am grateful for is that it does. Just seem to be. Children being shamed for having normal, reasonable, healthy sexual impulses, right? Um, rather than we have a story of adults,
0: yeah, you
1: know, uh, messing with children. So, at least there is that. But even talking <laughs> about children and sex is something that is a very, very, very difficult thing to do well and healthily, especially in a culture in which the way that we deal with sex with everybody, but especially with children, um, is is pretty, pretty gone and fucked. So um, that to say, how about Giles singing at the
0: espresso pump? <laughs> Let me just pull wearing, out of that. Where's his earring? I love I know his I love I love so that he puts cute. his earring in to go sing yes. at the espresso pump. Yes. I also love that not just not just Anthony Stewart Head, but Giles yeah. is such a pro that when he mm-hmm. is startled to see his former students <gasps> standing you there. You can't hear it. Yeah. He just he's like, he, he,
1: he OK, keeps going to keep going. <laughs> he doesn't even when he's singing like in his voice, you can hear it. you see it in his eyes. But his voice doesn't. There's no tremble in his voice. There's nothing. He doesn't even go off key at all.
0: Like, he is on There's it. There's no sour good. note. It's so funny. Uh, but no. his oh shit face just is yes, so great. the oh shit
1: face is so great. And when they're all staring, I love when they're all staring, right? And, you know, Xander's horrified and Willow's like, oh, this is why I had a crush on him, which I thought was cute. So um so cute. Anya's like, oh, hey, that's Giles, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then Tara's just like, wow, he's really good. Oh, like, Does tar- he hear dress- this a lot? <laughs>
0: uh, Tara's sweetness.
1: Oh my god, I love her so much. She's so good.
0: <laughs> she's t- she's too pure. It's like she's too. It's pure. almost a, like I was gonna say it's almost a problem. I mean, it is kind of a problem, but just uh-huh. I love, I love Tara's like powerful witch, yeah, energy. Like she's I, oh yeah, real appreciation. She's like, real appreciation that- for Tara. She's running that spell. It's not Giles
1: running the spell. It's Tara running that spell. And I fucking love that.
0: And then Willow fucks it up. Can we just like... I'm like, come on, man. Have some like... (laughs) Tara, who has compassion for everyone, even after like being... The victim of however many attacks, yeah. you know, in this tiny little season four mm-hmm. window so far. Right. Tara is like has like all of this beautiful compassion for the energy left behind mm-hmm. by these children. And Willow's yes. just
1: like And then Willow's like, get, get over it. Over it. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Tara's too And it in this feels
0: world. it feels not
1: willowy to me. You yeah. know? I mean, it feels like a little out of character. Uh, for her but in the moment you know you're yeah. you're yeah. flustered and we and as I spent some time talking about in this episode sometimes we say things we say you know, shit and we don't mean
0: and it doesn't work we don't so mean well. it yeah but, we don't mean it sometimes but Tara happens. appreciating you know the multitudes yes. that Giles contains is yes. a moment of I just delight so delightful I absolutely love that
1: so uh I want to go into uh my uh, recurring segment of oh by the way um <laughs> I love her, by the Stuff way. that I just I just noticed. Uh, Catherine Justin, who is wonderful, plays Genevieve Holt. She also played. You may recognize her uh, from her part as Dolores Lanningham on The West Wing, in which she was phenomenal. Um, and here's a little bit of trivia: uh, Kirsten Nelson, who played Buffy's boss Lorraine Ross at Double Meet Palace, played a young Dolores Lanningham in the West Wing episode Two Cathedrals." Um, and just you know, to bring in a complete you know, connection to this very podcast. In 1997, Kirsten Nelson also played a character named Lonnie, spelled my way, L-A-N-I, in a short film called Three Women of Pain. So there you go. <laughs> Nobody. I'm just saying I never see my name anywhere. Nobody ever uses it. It's never in any movies or anything. So it was really kind of fun to see a Lonnie <laughs> played a- by Kirsten Nelson, who I love.
0: It's a great name. Use it more writers
1: i've never liked it, but it's mine, so what the hell um but Kirsten Nelson, I really really like you may remember her she also she was a, she was in psych um she's a really great actress, she was very fun as Buffy's boss at Double Meet Palace in season six, um so she's a lot of fun, and it was a fun little you know six I don't know, Six Degrees of Buffy, I six guess. Six Degrees, yeah. Six Degrees of <laughs> Buffy the Vampire of, Slayer.
0: That's pretty cool. Six Degrees
1: of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, all right, so I am curious, though, if we have anything for the now-recurring segment, uh, Twigs, this week in Gay Shit. What you love, got? Are
0: we really doing this now? Is this a thing for I, real? I think I, oh I would God. love for it to be a thing. If you're in, I'm in. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm here for the gay <laughs> shit. Could can be all the gay shit. I love I love, love, love. Speaking of my love of Tara, I love yes. Tara's bisexual sitting during the meeting, the Scooby meeting. That is some A-plus bisexual sitting. Okay, okay, okay.
1: No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to throw my straight blinder flag down.
0: What is bisexual sitting? This is a stereotype picked up by the internet. I want to say, you know, our lovely, lovely meme culture Uh huh. Um, made... I don't. I don't actually know the history of it, but there's this stereotype slash meme slash humorous idea that uh-huh. gay people cannot sit properly in chairs, and many bisexual and gay people saw this going around the internet and were like, "OMG, me too. I sit. Uh-huh. You know, I sit weird, weird air quotes, right? Because it's all relative." Um, right. And it's just delightful. Now I see it everywhere. So I have to call out bisexual sitting whenever I see it. That's interesting. How was she sitting? I'm trying to she's, visualize how on, she was... They're sitting on a couch and she's sitting... Yeah. Instead of with her legs down off the edge of the couch, she's sitting like... like um, It's like a cobbler's pose in yoga or maybe it's cross-legged. Oh. But she's sitting like with her legs up on the couch, sort of oh, tucked underneath Oh, I always her. sit like that. Am I bisexual? <laughs> Only you can answer that, baby.
1: (laughs) I'm sitting crisscross applesauce right now. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. I'm sorry. That was, that was way, way too much of me, you know, making my... My LGBTQ friend explains shit to the straight lady. That's, I think, what we should call it. Explain shit to the straight lady. No, Alex explains lesbian shit to Lonnie. <laughs> <That's>...
0: <laughs> that, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. I mean... <laughs> And that could go a number of different ways. Some of them, I don't think either of us would be a pro would be okay. honest, super comfortable with. All right, all right. So what else we got for and this anyway, week? In gay shit? Anyway, anyway. <laughs> oh my god! And horseback riding. I mean, I know this yes. is an episode about like, like, sexy stuff, but like, come on. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's not gay specifically, but there's definitely like a queer sexiness to. You should ride with me sometime. I guarantee Aww. safety and fun. Aww. And, you know, also, because I like to get all symbolic about shit, horses in uh-huh. dreams are often symbols of sexuality or sexual desire. So the fact that Aww. Willow and Tara are sitting there on the stairs, they're talking about horseback riding, and they're still not totally, like, out to uh, yeah. Willow's friends. And It's just great. I, I enjoy Aww. it. So... Aww. safety safety, I guarantee safety and fun is like that's very hot right that is like you should uh, if you are interested in doing this thing with me it will be both safe and hot (laughs) or and fun I like how I just fun I just like transposed uh fun and hot because that's where my mind is going this morning hello well after
1: watching this episode I certainly don't blame you another (laughs) segment we're pulling in now is Lonnie's moment of Riley because here's the thing every week I am forcing myself to say one nice thing about Riley because I'm sick of bitching about Riley and I didn't talk about Riley in this episode at all which is why I didn't say anything bad but (laughs) but there wasn't anything he you know he was just riley whatever um <laughs> he's one of two really, heat
0: generators and it works really well one of two
1: heat generators he just did a lot of sexy rolling around in a bed with sarah michelle geller that's basically it um and you know what must have been a great week at work for mark I was lucas just and about all to say hell, mark lucas mark was lucas. at work like that's I not know. anyway and I... sarah michelle geller too because mark lucas okay here's the thing i like mark lucas <laughs> i don't like
0: riley it's... but i like mark lucas yeah it's it Oh, it creates complex feelings in me as well. I understand. (laughs) But give me your moment of Riley.
1: (laughs) My moment of Riley is at the end, I really love his timing. That whole thing, like, oh, it was horrible. And he just goes, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, it was bad. (laughs) It was just really, really cute. And I realize that's more of liking Mark Blukas- than Riley because it was Mark Lucas's delivery on the Riley line so I like Mark Lucas more than necessarily Riley itself. but I am working on it so Lonnie's moment of Riley every week I'm going to say one nice thing about Riley because I hate the way I am constantly bitching and sniping about Riley and I would like to end on a little positivity (laughs) (laughs) so that's right. so what is
0: our oh
1: not with a girl pal
0: big all right, so what's our girl power moment of the week, Noelle? Um, well, your note, which I love, is just yes. Tara. Everything Tara. <laughs> Everything Tara. Everything and, Tara. I mean, I co-sign that hard. I I mean, I mentioned it already, but I love her witchy spidey sense. I love that, yeah. you know, like all of your beloved animal companions, she knows that the earthquake is coming before it hits. Like, I just, I love it. I love, <laughs> Tara's I love it. Tara's a familiar. She <laughs> I mean, I mean, she definitely has that, like, loyal animal companion vibe. At she's least... better than human, I think. Yeah, is what
1: I... <laughs> I think that's Usually what I'm Usually when you compare at. somebody to an animal, you think less than human, no, but she's better than no, human. No, she's
0: better than human. <laughs> she's, I mean, yes. she's the, she is a, like, we don't deserve dogs type meme. She's a, like, yes. we don't deserve Tara we don't deserve Tara. Nobody
1: deserves Tara. And but we got her and I'm grateful. Yes. <laughs> All right, Noelle, where the wild things are, what's your favorite part?
0: Okay. So it's actually Buffy and Riley in bed in that Ooh. shot where yes. they're, it's the overhead shot of them. And then we're like, they are either falling away from us or we're zooming out or something is happening and they become this like teeny tiny little bed surrounded mm-hmm. by dark space and it's all echoey and I just love this as a visual metaphor for sexual experience that takes from rather than gives to the participants because right. ultimately that seems to kind of sort of be what the episode is saying that mm-hmm. this sex is like powerful but it's also destructive magic and of course. They're gonna die, I guess. Um, yeah. oh, yeah, that whole thing, too. That,
1: yeah. like, you know, Giles is jumping to a lot of conclusions like, that, like, really? this energy they is are? trying to kill Buffy and Riley. Because Buffy and Riley, at no point did we look at Buffy and Riley and see them in a state where they were gonna like
0: die. Well, they her were lips in are blue at one point, like, they do make uh, her look a little okay. ghostly at one point, which you know. Yeah. I mean, you spend okay. all day in bed, you're going to get like dehydrated and dehydrated. So, so, you know, it's a real... Especially it's a... girls, drink that water, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a phrase just came to mind that I'm not going to say, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but... Anyway, so this this visual, right, I just mm-hmm. I I something about it really works for me, especially compared like to the like sweaty, glowy Tara and Willow business from a few episodes ago. I mean, mm-hmm. Tara and Willow are equally consumed with each other, but they look beautiful yeah. and they look expansive. Um, yeah. So there's I just I like I like how creepy it is. And also for my fellow film nerds, the shot of Buffy and Riley disappearing into the dark reminds me of the absolutely horrific ending of Looking for Mr. Goodbar and the alien sex magic that is the movie Under the Skin. So, oh, interesting. you know, <laughs> this is it's my version of Lonnie's. Oh, by the way. Oh, <laughs> by the way. Oh, by the way.
1: <laughs> Did you know? I like it. I like it. Um uh, my favorite part is Spike and Anya. Just oh, Spike and Anya. Just everything Spike and Anya in this episode. Love it. I, I didn't I didn't enjoy this episode much at all. Um now you have made me like it a lot more. Um so you have given it extra
0: textual boost.
1: Um so thank you for that.
0: <laughs> extra textual boost. It is just another uh fine service I provide yes. here. <laughs> If
1: you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Dine. and Noelle is at
0: Noelle Aloud, And the hashtag is Still Pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our January producers, Jonathan, Shelley, Kristen, Noelle, Alyssa, Erica, Abigail, Alice, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers. A year and a half ago, I could have eviscerated him with my thoughts. Now I can barely hurt his feelings. To find out how you too can support
1: Chiprish Media, visit patreon.com slash Other ways to show your support. Write a great review
0: on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about the show or go see if Asian House is open. We will be back next time with New Moon Rising, the 19th episode of season four, which is actually about werewolves. Yes. Unlike this episode, whatever. Until then, oh yeah? You smell sin? Well, let me tell you something, lady. She who smelt it, dealt it.